Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And so what's interesting is oftentimes, especially our modern sophisticated, educated friends who reject the Bible, affirm evolution biologically and then deny it developmentally. So they will say, yeah, of course, evolution, obviously. The whole thing is unfolding and adapting and certain things survive and certain things don't. But then they turn around and read the Bible like a static, fixed book. But if you read this book as, of course, earlier people, early in the story, had understandings we don't. And actually, you saying it's barbaric and primitive, which it is, I join you in condemning that. How are you here? How do you have this ranking and hierarchy? And when people say, well, it never condemns slavery, but you do. So how is it that something happened in human history that you want nothing to do with slavery? And did that movement just happen with you, or has it been unfolding through all of the human story? In which case, the Bible shows you what that unfolding looks like. You just happen to be a little farther down the road when it comes to slavery or women's rights. But you also have a massive carbon footprint and are part of an industrial society that actually might be ruining the earth for good. So in all the ways that you are also, you are way farther ahead, um, do you love your neighbor? That's from Leviticus. Any way in which you would say, I'm not always the most loving neighbor, then actually Leviticus was farther ahead. So to make it just this clean line, you can't do that either. The Deconstructionist Podcast is produced by Nicholas Rowe at the National Audio Preservation Society Recording Studio in Newark, Ohio. Follow us on social media at www.thedeconstructionist.com, on Facebook at Deconstructionist Podcast, Twitter at Deconstructcast, and Instagram at Deconstructionist Podcast. If listening to this podcast has benefited you in any way, consider making a donation. The donate link is in the show notes, or you can visit our website and click the donate tab.
Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. I'm Adam Narlock. I am John Williamson. And this week, we've got something live and tasty for you. We drove in a car all the way to Dayton, Ohio. <sighs> so far. We Just almost, the interview. We almost ran out of sustenance <laughs> and fuel and gas. We went to a Panera. <laughs> Thank Try. God there was a Panera right there. Trying to find juice. <laughs> Cold-pressed juice. There was no cold pressed juice to be found anywhere. And Rob was sad. In Dayton, Ohio. Rob was sad. Dayton, Ohio. Get on your juice game. Come on. So <laughs> if you don't know who Rob Bell is, just Google him. He's written a bunch of books. He started a church named Mars Hill yep. in his late 20s. Um, he was dismissed from Christian Fellowship by John Piper <laughs> circa 2009 the Pope. with a tweet. The evangelical Pope. And um, we love him. Yes, we, we absolutely love him. We're a big fan of just uh, the freedom and the creativity and um, what he invites. So having him back on the podcast to talk about his new book, What is the Bible, which is climbing the New York Times bestseller list, is what you're in for today. And this is a long conversation. It's a live conversation. And we cover a lot. And it was our redo. What? <laughs> So uh, those of you who, who have been following us since the beginning, first of all, thank you. Why are you bringing this up? And second, second of all, it is lovingly referred to as our fanboy episode. So we got a redo. We did. And we drank way less coffee this time. Yep. Um, a lot more water. We hydrated. Yep. And we were poised and controlled. And we <laughs> and in command of this interview. And And... I would like to thank Books and Company, first of all. Big shout out to them. Um, they were gracious enough to set us up with a, a space in their offices where we kind of took it over for a little bit. Makeshift studio. And, 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 our, and our boy Nick, our sound guy. Nicholas uh, Rowe. Nicholas Rowe. Which, by the way, if you haven't bought his album yet or checked it out. Do it. Everything is beautiful. Do it now. Everything is beauty. Or beauty is everything or something like that. You'll find it. Just Google it. It's been on our podcast. It's really good. It's really good. Sacred and Profane is amazing. Yeah. Okay. We're shortening the intros. <laughs> so this is Rob Bell, What is the Bible, et cetera, et cetera, live. And without further ado, Rob freaking Bell. Bible? Sure. <laughs> you, you probably don't have much to say about it. <laughs> awesome. Oh, look at these guys. Here we are, man, in Ohio. I love it. With Rob freaking Bell. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, just Google it and believe everything that and comes up on. it'll be all on. true. Yeah, That's it'll right. be all true. Exactly, exactly the way it is. So we are here in Dayton, Ohio. The hub of all things cultural and influential. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? All right. In, in the back room of this uh, beautiful independent bookstore. Yeah. That you're about to do an event. Yeah. Books and Company, if you're here in town, go check it out. Like, we fully support independent bookstores, and this place is gigantic. It's fantastic. Yeah. Very nice bookstore. And you're doing all independent book shops, right, on your tour? 
Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah, this is the eighth. This is the eighth one. Wow. This is the last stop. Really? This leg. Yeah. So here we it'll are. Be, it'll be good to get home, I'm sure. And I thought it was awesome to do three weeks on the to do these three weeks of two of bookstores and then finish in Ohio. Heck Something yeah, but just felt right. We love it. Felt right. We're we're happy you picked Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> we really are. We're There's excited. always been a lot of love in Ohio. Yeah, it's I always very, enjoy coming here. It's a very loving state, man. It's very true. Yeah. It almost even looks like a heart. Like and yeah, exactly. And then tonight yeah. we have basketball. That's true. Come on. Game one. I mean, this is a one. big day we're getting together. I'm glad gentlemen. you're excited about it. Ooh. I'm so fired up about it. Did, you're tall. Did you play basketball? Just a little. Just okay. Yeah. Probably about as much as me. Yeah. <laughs> I realized when I never could even make layups that I should probably not pursue this. Yeah. It just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't healthy. So let's talk about your new book. You've got this fantastic uh, new book out uh, called What is the Bible? How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything. Now, those <laughs> of us, title, man. that is, <laughs> I, I, heard you, I heard you joke at one point that you said you were, you were going for the longest subtitle of any book. <laughs> yes, <all> time. absolutely. <laughs> Sup- the, the, the paragraph. The title, Superpower. I love it. <laughs> yes. Your mutant In the gift. very middle of the cover, too. Yes. <laughs> so those of us who have followed you, your, your career uh, for a while now know that at one point in time, you had this huge Tumblr blog uh, where you talked about a lot of the things that you talk about in the Bible um, so I'm just curious, what, uh, what about now, what about 2017 uh, made you think that I need to put this book out right now? I noticed how many people have no idea what's in the Bible. And by that, I mean general culture, but specifically people who are religious and would say that the Bible is at the center of their religion mm. actually seem to know the least about it. Oh. Mm. So for example, the Bible's written by a small minority group of people who had been conquered by one global military superpower after another. So these people have had the boot of empire on their neck over and over. Egyptians, Babylonians, uh, Greeks, Assyrians, Romans by the time of Jesus. So these people have very strong opinions about violence, about military, um, about the, what happens when wealth and weapons get together. <laughs> So if you're a citizen of America, yeah. let's just take America, 5% of the world's population, you have 40, what, 3% of its weapons. Um, America, I mean, what is that? France have seven military bases outside of France. England has, I don't know, six. Russia has like eight military bases. The U.S. has 660, I think it is. Oh. Although some say the number is closer to 800. The Pentagon a couple of years ago spent a billion dollars on advertising. So you, you are, as a, like take an American citizen, you are the citizen of the most intense global military superpower human civilization has ever created. It's a phenomenon unlike anything we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So when you read this book about our group of people who have been on the mm-hmm. receiving end of domination, you may miss some of its central themes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'll talk, like tonight... Um, I'll talk about this idea like in the Psalms when the psalmist says these prayers in the very middle of the Bible, some trust in chariots, but we trust in God. Mm. We're the ones with the chariots. Yep. yep. So, so for many people, what I observed is they have a very conflicted relationship, especially religious people with the Bible. Because when you read this book, then you either need, you either have to spiritualize it and make it about some other life, some other time, go to heaven someday when you die or you're going to have to read it and take seriously what it's saying, which is going to be oftentimes a 
serious reflective critique on the very system that you're a part of. Yeah. <laughs> How's it, that? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I noticed how many people didn't read the Bible. How many people were reading the Bible like first grade fundamentalists? And I kept noticing people who had completely rejected the Bible hmm. as primitive, barbaric, and magical, mythical nonsense. And then there was this other group of people who were like, it's what happened, what happened, happened exactly as it says it happened. So the one is like, no, that thing happened. There really was an ark. And if you don't believe that, well, you're in trouble. Another group was like, don't tell me that there really was an ark. But both are reading it like first grade fundamentalists. Wow. Yeah. The one it happened to the other, there's no way it happened. But both are actually completely misreading it. So that's one of the reasons. And I kept noticing Oh, but this book has so much. Or like take the Bernie Sanders campaign, wherever you are politically, Bernie, all these interviews about why is Bernie Sanders connecting with young people? Well, when Bernie Sanders says there's a widening gap between rich and poor, the Hebrew prophets, you know, <laughs> the, at the center of the Hebrew prophets, yeah, where was this, this if there's a growing gap between rich and poor, everybody's going to suffer. So all these like, pundits, well, apparently the kids like his authenticity. I would just argue he's saying something that's thousands and thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. But how many people know that he's channeling the Hebrew prophets? Right. <laughs> this is from the Bible. That book that you think is so lame and backwards is actually filled with one progressive, enlightened idea after another. In among, of course, all the violence and weirdness that's in it. Sure. Plenty of weirdness. It sounds like uh, some, we just interviewed N.T. Wright, and he was talking about how this whole idea that the Bible puts forward as this idea of grace, this idea of forgiveness to a Western culture that is propped up with a system of debt and unforgiveness, very difficult stuff to read. Absolutely. Or like Leviticus, when it talks about a year of Jubilee. Yeah, like the, what? <laughs> yeah. You think about these, these were radical ideas yeah. of liberation that people are like, oh, I, all that stupid primitive stuff. It's interesting because in the ancient world, when you conquered somebody, you would wipe everybody out in the name of your gods. So when you read stories from that time, it's not to me that surprising that people would, in the Bible, wipe somebody out in the name of their god. Yeah. Like that's how people told stories. So if you just read it as these are people, humans telling stories, then you don't have all those weird gymnastics that preachers go through where they're trying to say, like, you know, sometimes God just does have to smite the whole village. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or you're like, yeah, then, then I'm not going to have anything to do with that God. <laughs> right. I, I remember you saying something about um, peace by the sword. Well, yeah, of course there's peace now because all the opposing people are dead. <laughs> you know? you're, you're not there anymore. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, Ro the Roman military propaganda, the Romans minted coins that said peace through victory. Yeah. Which was, yeah. It's like, yeah, of, of course. course it's peaceful. Every, <laughs> everybody who had a problem is dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, so you actually want us, and you're inviting us in this book, to, to read the Bible more and more deeply. Like, this is, this is a plunge further in to Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bible. I'm taking it more seriously. Yeah. And the traditional, literal interpretation doesn't take it seriously enough. So, for example, when somebody says that the Genesis is a literal account of creation and says, if you reject that, then you're rejecting the whole Bible or whatever. That's actually not a serious reading. You're actually degrading the Bible by trying to turn chapter one into a science textbook. Reading it literally is actually a lower view of the Bible. Essentially what you're saying is, I wish we were given a different book. So 
when somebody says, oh, it's a poem, you ought to read it like a poem. Uh, Because some truths are so beautiful and complex and profound, only poetic imagery. It's more than literally true. Um, But for a number of people, and perhaps some of your listeners, literal truth, they were taught literal truth as the highest form of truth. Mm -hmm. So, and then spirituality became literal. And anybody who didn't do that was considered like off the path when, no, actually the tradition is you respect the ancient text and you read it for what it, this is a rant. This is history mixed with poetry. This is poetry mixed with history. This is innuendo. This is sly sort of subversive political propaganda. This is apocalyptic. This is gospel, which is kind of a made up genre. So you got to read it for what it is. Um, <laughs> we just, we, we just did another interview with, um, Rabbi Wolpe. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it was so good. And we were, and we were talking about reading scripture and we were, we were talking about how to, to read scripture well requires a good reader. Like you can't just like, it's not the Bible. Like you have to be a good, <laughs> yes. you have to be yes. a good reader of yeah. the Bible. And a lot of what I see you doing in this book and even this conversation that we're having right now is it's giving people, um, clues to, to get to the equipment that they need to actually start to understand what it might've actually been when it was first written. Like it, the, yes. the people that wrote it, the situations that they were in, you know, like some, like you, it, right. I think you said in the book, it didn't just fall out of the sky. Yeah. Like it has a whole story. What, talk about why that's so important. Yeah. Well, uh, what does Paul say to Timothy in the letter to Timothy? Women, women will be saved in childbearing. Yeah. yeah. That is a weird verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then if you realize that Paul was writing to Timothy and Timothy lived in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a major, Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the world in it, the temple to Artemis, the mother goddess. So it was the world center of the, the Greek mother goddess Artemis, also called Demeter. And Artemis was the goddess of childbearing. So when you were pregnant, you would go and offer uh, an offering in the temple of Artemis, which was one that literally, there were people who saw the temple of Artemis and said the pyramids are nothing compared to the temple of Artemis. Wow. So when Paul says that, he's saying that weird sentence in a city that was worldwide known for the mother goddess who would save you in childbirth. So there's a political, economic, government, there's a whole bunch of layers to a weird phrase like that that you're just left making awkward, right. uh, apparently Paul is, <laughs> or he's actually referring, he's doing something very interesting and sly and subtle and he's Subversive. undermining something there that just all of a sudden, it, so lots of times, the reason why the passage is so odd is because you're missing a bunch of context. And when you get a little of that context, um, uh, flood stories were very common in the ancient world because mm-hmm. you had no Google images. You had no satellite images. A wall of water would rush through and wipe out everything. Yeah. So you can see why people told stories to try to explain this and why those stories probably had an element of anger and there are forces who are angry with us. So all of a sudden these stories become very human and you realize people then were doing what we do now, trying to make sense of the infinite, trying to make sense of who we are here and now. And it just gets so much more interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that, to kind of continue on that path, one of the things I thought was really interesting, and it's, it's something that comes up a lot on our podcast, um, just in regards to historical context and, and what was going on at the time and, and how the original audience would have received the message. 
yeah. um, how it was intended. One of the things I thought was really interesting in your book is where you talk about, um, you break down just the idea of words within scripture and, and how important it is to understand you know, the, the world that the author lived in and the world that the translator lived in and the world that we live in and how it goes through all of these filters. Yes. You know, so I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. I thought that was really yeah. good. Well, first off, especially for listeners who would like, that would be nice, but I don't know Greek. All of this <laughs> is online. It is. So the tools are so easy. All of these tools are actually really easy. And then some people say, look, well, I don't have a lot of, I mean, that's deep and complex. I don't have that. Yeah, but you just recapped season two of Game of Thrones for me. <laughs> totally. <man. laughs> right, and right. you also, interesting enough in House of Cards, can't wait for the new season. And there'll be all these subtle little references to previous episodes. So sometimes in the new Game of Thrones, in the new like House of Cards, somebody, a character is going to do something. Because the new episodes drop, whatever, any moment now. Yeah, they or, just did. Yeah, 30. Oh, they yeah. just did. Okay. Like, yeah. Me and my wife are four deep. <laughs> okay, you're four deep. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what's happened is there will be these references to things that happened in season two. But if you look at the hours, this character might nod at that character, and you realize, oh, they have an inside thing from 27 hours ago. Wow. Yeah. So as a modern person living in a very complex world, you love the subtlety Totally. And the wink and the nod and the nuance and the depth and all the, the character stories. And if your friend joins you partway through and is like, what's going on here? You're like, oh, you got to understand. She slept with him and then he took the money and you love recounting all this. <laughs> Sometimes there's this like this funny and, and maybe, and then I say thirdly. So for people who are like, no way, I, I could never get it. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. Yeah. And then I would also say it's important you may be over-toxified with the Bible and need to set it down for a while. Talk about that a little bit. It's funny, I'm doing yeah, like yeah. a Bible tour and just saying to every crowd, by the way, you might not need to read the Bible for a while. I mean, sometimes something gets so loaded down with yeah. baggage. Yeah. A friend of mine read the book and he was like, it's so interesting and I couldn't care less. He, he happens to be a priest and has been doing this for a long time and is, needs to do some deconstructing and is doing some deconstructing. And just right now, the last thing that's interesting to him is to go back into this book. He needs space and distance. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's... I see that in my church with people that I Yeah, exactly. Teach and exactly. Yeah. And it's like, then it's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay. You, the, the one thing you don't need to have is a conflicted relationship with this ancient text. Um, and then going back to, there was a question in there somewhere about the words. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, it's helpful to remember somebody was trying to put something, language to something, and then somebody was probably, maybe it was an oral tradition that eventually somebody wrote down. So then it went through their um, voice. So like the gospel writers were taking oral traditions about Jesus and what was remembered by those people and that person and that story that was flowing around and then they're writing it down, and then somebody else translated it, and then somebody else edited together that book, and then somebody else decided, hey, that book ought to go with this book, and they ought to be, <laughs> lots of people have had their hands on this. Mm -hmm. So you either see that as a sign of unreliability, the whole thing becomes suspect, see, and there are whole books written on this, oh, the King James, this word right here, the translator had an agenda. Of course, they were human. Yes. Or... You can see its wobbly weirdness as like human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, and human beings doing everything they can to communicate what they've tasted of the divine.
And so all the what appear to be disagreements and contradictions and paradoxes and stuff that clearly the person has an agenda here. Yeah. Yeah. That's not weird. What's no. weird is that you would dismiss the human element instead of going, you double down on the human element. And now you might actually get something where you go, but that's pretty inspiring. But that's like, that's pretty beautiful. And you got there honestly. I mean, doesn't scripture itself say that if you want, like, if you really want to see God, like, there's one thing, he made lots of things that are good. Lots of things tell about who he is, but like, doesn't scripture actually say, like, if you really want to see God, like one of the best glimpses you're ever going to get is in a human being. (laughs) Doesn't it kind of say that? My my translation, but. (laughs) (laughs) Some people talk about how the, one of the major moves in the evolution of the Bible is from the idea of a divine who lives in a building, which would be a very ancient world standard idea. Yeah. To the divine that lives in people. Mm. Um, that this is actually the giant leap in human consciousness. The divine is within us. Or when, when Jesus says, I'm in you and you and me, mm. and then you'll do greater things than these. The divine present in you. And most people are so beaten down. And systems, institutional systems, political systems, economic systems, beat people down because it's easier to control people. Yeah. So if we can just convince you that you're an original sinner or you're depraved or something, the last thing, you're going to be far less likely to stand up and go, no, I'm not going along with that. Yeah. Right. Um, Because you'll just endlessly doubt yourself. You'll just endlessly beat yourself up. There'll be a tape playing in your head that you're a fraud. But this is, Jesus came to rescue you from that exact kind of thinking. It kind of sounds like an empire that might use fear (laughs) to like... Get people to need it, right? Right. I, right. I'm probably way off. I don't know. <laughs> but I think, but but it's really interesting. <laughs> it's a joke, but but um, it's just so interesting how you just go one inch into the biblical story. You start to read it like this, and you're instantly in 2017, and a bunch of you're instantly talking about the things we're talking about now, and. What you've left behind, anytime someone talks about, is the Bible still relevant? I always know this is somebody who's clearly not reading it. Because that is not the, even, is it, is it inerrant or not? These are all questions of people who aren't actually reading it well. Hmm, right. Now you're just left with these, is it infallible? Um, is it the word of God? If you're reading it, you're so caught up in what this thing is doing in you and through you. The, those are... Those are the last questions you have. Those aren't even questions anymore. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, beware of sermons about the Bible. It's like that guy on Instagram who keeps posting about how hot his wife is. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? At some point you're like, is this guy trying to convince me or him? What else is right. going on here? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so absolutely. even all that stuff about, I just need to talk to you about the authority of the Bible. Um, well, actually you preacher get a paycheck for talking about the authority of the Bible. So I'm already a little suspect. <laughs> right. Just open it up and let it rip. Right. Just tell me a story about loss, abandonment, betrayal, forgiveness, power, manipulation. Tell me a story from this book that will do something to me, and you won't have to tell me that it's in Thor. I will give it influence. I will be like, that is a better way to live. Yeah. Or yeah. that is convicting. Or that is healing. In it, or that raises it. all yeah. sorts of questions. Or that fills me with an imagination I didn't have, or that tells me that I might actually be able to move on from my past. Like, 
Stop telling me about <laughs> it. Tell it to me. <laughs> Spurgeon basically said that, which is funny. One of my favorite Spurgeon quotes is somebody asked him, uh, how do you defend scripture, Charles? How do, how do you defend scripture, Dr. Spurgeon? And he said, defend scripture. Right. He said, it's a wild lion. Loose it and let it go. Yes. Well said. I mean, yeah. that's like the most conservative dude you could possibly come up with. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And he knew. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. this, there's a reason. Um, I was thinking in, what was this? Two years ago, I was surfing this spot that I love to surf at in California. And this woman paddles out. It's just me and this older woman. And she looks over at one point. She says, I first started surfing this spot in 1962. Whoa. And I was like, whoa, eight years before I was born, this woman was whoa. in this water. And I had like a whoa. And then a couple of years ago, I was on tour. My family and I were in Philadelphia, and we went to see the Liberty Bell, which is cracked, by the way. <laughs> Didn't know um, that. And that's a couple hundred years old, and there was a line down the street to be in the room with this thing. It's like, whoa. And then you're in Europe, and you, you're at a cathedral built in 1300, and mm. you're like, Whoa. So each number of years you go back, there's like an added gravitas, weight, significance. Mm. So even the idea of a sacred text, a prayer, a lament, um, what does it profit a person to gain the world but lose their soul? Millions of people have put this on their lips Mm. for thousands of years. Come on, man. And, and even the power, the power of joining humans across space and time, um, there is a power in that that I think with the news cycle speeding up, it used to be two weeks and it was 24 hours. Now, if you have this, I'll talk about this tonight, but this experience where, where you're like, no, I didn't know what the president said, or, and, you're, and it happened 17 minutes ago. Right. Yeah. And somebody presented it to you like, dude, you don't know. John does this to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> he tells you something where instantly you're like, wow, I, I, I guess I missed that. But you find out that it was from that morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think actually as things speed up to this insane pace, the idea of something that has helped, centered, guided, convicted, healed people for thousands of years becomes... I think it's just going to become more and more compelling. I really want to go back to... Uh, kind of the power of words a little bit, because okay. um, one of the things you do in this book that I've, I've heard you do before on your podcast and, and some other interviews that I think is just fantastic is the way that you kind of uh, take us on a journey through stories that we've all heard a thousand times before, but kind of shine new light on it. Uh, for example, the Jonah and the whale story. <laughs> I know we've all heard this a thousand times. We're like, yeah, this guy got swallowed by a whale uh, when he was disobeying God's orders. But you had a way of telling it in a way that kind of made me look at it in a way I'd never seen before. And as we have done this podcast, I've noticed that this is true. We, we were uh, interviewing a, uh, another rabbi, Rabbi Arthur Green, the other night, um, who did the same thing with another story in the Old Testament I had heard a thousand times before and just blew me away. Um, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, because that's, that's one of multiple stories that you kind of tell in the book. 
Yeah. Well, first off, um, this text is like a gem, and so you turn it, and the light refracts differently each time. And a lot of, a lot of modern people were taught there is a correct interpretation. Yeah. So it's almost like the text is a funnel that leads to a point. Right. And if you don't get that point, which generally, most people, it was like, Jesus died for your sins. You should feel really bad about that, but then somehow avoid doing bad things. Right. So you can go somewhere else, sometime else. Right, right. Um, and if you don't do that, then, well, I don't know if it was biblical. Um, but probably it's better to turn the funnel, like, the other way, and the text opens. So actually, in this book, I'm not trying to summarize. My observation was most books about the Bible are trying to summarize. Yeah. Trying to tell you, this is what the Bible says. I'm not in this book trying to tell you what the Bible says. I'm trying to do the opposite of summarizing. I'm trying to open it up for you. <laughs> I have yet to come up with what the opposite of summarizing is. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because that's how it was always understood. It's, <clears throat> it is a sacred text is living and active. And so you just keep encircling it and you see something new every time. So you read it and you've, Oh, like traditionally Jonah is told go to Nineveh and he doesn't go because he's disobedient. But Nineveh was in Assyria and Assyria was like the nasty neighbor who had raped and pillaged Israel for a long time. So Jonah doesn't want to go bless his worst enemy. Um, even just the idea, did the first audience of this story cheer him on? You better believe he got in a boat and went the other direction. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so even just that little bit, oh, Nineveh is the arch enemy who has made life a living hell for them. Mm -hmm. So this, the standard Protestant reading was, this is a story about a man who disobeyed. And you read, you read it as the human compelling. You ask, why did this story endure? Probably because everybody who's ever been wronged by somebody, go and tell your ex-husband what a wonderful father he has been. No, that guy's a dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that plays, man. Yeah. Like you, you think about, go back to that place that fired you. Yep. Oh. And tell each person to their face something good about what it was like to work with them. No way. I would never darken the door of that place. I would not. Yeah. So, every, so that becomes a much more, yeah. And then the story ends, like when people hear about Jonah being swallowed by a fish, well, did he get swallowed by a fish or not? Wait, 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 wait. If you end up in an argument about that, whether the man got swallowed by a fish and don't end with, the story ends with a question. And the question is God to the Jonah character who wants to kill himself. Right. It ends with a man who wants to commit suicide because the divine favor extends even to his enemies. Yeah. And this is a non-dual yeah. awareness here because yeah. we like to have an enemy. Progressives need fundamentalists. Yeah, I got to sure. have somebody who's not me so I can prop Abs up. Absolutely. So this story is, is messing with all the, the God character doesn't pray and he's just, a, he's, he's just asleep in the boat. And then the pagan quote unquote, heathen sailors are the ones who pray. Nobody plays by that the scripts. So this becomes a very sophisticated, nuanced, interesting story about good and evil and resistance and blessing. Um, yeah, and so the idea that this would become a, a Sunday school story about a miraculous fish and not a very, very provocative story about how you deal with those who have wronged you. Um, this is like a great injustice. 
And I actually think at some level with the book, something for me, this is an injustice that people don't know this about the Bible. And sometimes it's like, why do you do what you do? I realize with this, sometimes there's like a divine anger when there's an injustice that needs to be righted. Yeah. And I had that with this book. Like, no, people need to know that these, that this book is way better than they think it is. Well, at some see, really basic level. When you see yeah. somebody rejecting something for the wrong reason. Yeah. You, the yeah. first thing you want to do, especially if you're somebody that loves that thing, is yeah. rush in and go, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, no. Right, right, right. At least yeah. give it a fair reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and isn't that, I mean, we were, when we were talking to, to Rabbi Wolpe, um, I, I kind of had the same question. I'm like, don't you find that when you are um, kind of battling back against uh, atheist uh, folks who are, who are so anti-Bible, so anti-religion, that they're almost arguing against a parody of, of the religion itself? Like, yeah, I don't, absolutely. I don't believe that either. You know? Absolutely. They're, they're first grade fundamentalists. They're reading it like first grade fundamentalists. Right. Yeah. So, and I don't, yeah, I don't believe in that God you don't believe in either. Most of the time, my (laughs) friends who are atheists, I don't, I don't believe in that God either. And when they talk about this image of God that they were handed, usually growing up, Mm -hmm. the only healthy spiritual response to that image would be atheism. Right. Sure. Um, 100%. And it's important for people to know this. And even in the Bible, it has plenty of room. Tonight, I'll talk about how one of the central ideas of the Bible, it's as much about the absence as it is the presence of the divine. Hmm. It's as much about where are you yeah. as it is, thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, and that when people are, <laughs> I always laugh when people are like, dude, we're starting a podcast to have some dangerous conversations. We don't know anything about um, that. I know you guys are laughing, <laughs> but when, but like, as if this is like, woo, can we do this? What's really funny is in the Bible, like the, the book of Lamentations is basically four poems and God is at some level on trial. Like the city's been destroyed. It's a smoldering wreck. Yeah. Where was God? Prove your, explain, prove yourself. Um, so this so, sort of, so even this like sort of modern, atheist, I'm so dang, I'm going to like call the whole thing. Yeah. That's what this book is about. Right. You're if right you at home. You can't do that. What kind of faith is that? Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, oh man, so many good questions <laughs> I want to ask here. All right. We, we've been talking a lot about questions and the importance of questions. Yes. And a lot of in this book, there's like this whole thing about the importance of questions. You talk about good questions, bad questions. Before we get into that a little bit, um, I noticed all throughout your work, this has always been something that's, that's come up with you. I remember the first time I picked up Velvet Elvis, like however many years ago. I don't even know how long ago that was. And I remember, I think it was on the back of the book, you literally said to whoever's going to pick up this book, don't just read it, like wrestle with it, struggle with it, question it. Like you encourage this thing. And my, my question to start off this a little conversation about questions is who taught you how to do that? Like that's not something that you see very, very often, to be honest. I mean, I went through Bible school. I was raised in a Christian home and uh, I've got a lot of wonderful memories of that. It's all really good stuff. But like the one thing that I always found different and I, I see it in this new book and in a lot of your books is like the beauty of just knowing yeah. that you're allowed to ask questions. Absolutely. And I also, I also think it's important for people to know that sometimes you get answers. Sometimes when people are first introduced to, oh wait, central to any authentic spirituality is questions is like, well, it can't all just be questions. No, it's not all just questions. Because sometimes you actually get answers. Right. And sometimes the answers like really help mm-hmm. and they're really clear. So I always say that first off, all that guy does is ask questions. Yeah. And then sometimes he gets answers. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's important to point that out. Um, it is I was important. probably always, my parents, my dad will talk about how I was asking questions from early on. Yeah. 
I just found the whole thing really, really interesting. I, I was never bored. And curiosity, I just always been curious. Mm. I always, I was just always wanted to know what was behind the thing, behind the thing. I met a woman the other day. I don't even know what the setting was. And somehow it was something, and she was like, oh, I was a nurse for whatever, 36 years. And then generally at her party and somebody was like, oh, I was a nurse for 36 years. And all right, would you like anything more to drink? I was like, oh, really? So how long ago did you stop being a nurse? And she was like, I retired, whatever, a year ago. So there was a day that was your last day of being a nurse. She's like, yeah. Did you have like a box with like a mug and pictures in it from your locker or whatever that you carried out to your car? She's like, yeah. And you can tell she's looking at me like, no one's ever asked me what is this? <laughs> so after 36 years of going to this, was a hospital every day? Did you go to the same hospital? Yeah. Then there was a day that was your last day. What was that like walking out to your car the last time? She began to describe what that was like. I said, the next day when you woke up and didn't go back to the hospital, what was that like? And so we could have been back to the bar after one question or three questions in. It's like getting more interesting. And so most people, you're passing, the bush is always burning. You're passing burning bushes left and right, but your head's down and you're texting and you're missing it. So this whole, everything around you, it's so much more interesting than anybody realizes. And everybody's moving way too fast. Somebody needs to teach us how to be here. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think at some level when I discovered that this was a Jewish book, and I would have been 25. It was like coming home. Mm. So the idea that spirituality begins with materiality, sweat and sex and skin and wine and surfing and art and business and education and law and healthcare and transportation and climate change and nerve gas the Syrians might be using, like all of this spirituality is ha what you do with this extraordinary gift of life. Um, so I think just the grounding of spirituality, because prior to that, it has kind of existed six inches off the ground. Yep. It was about some other time and some other place. Absolutely. Um, but as I came to understand the world of the Bible, that, that Jewish consciousness was fine with paradox. In fact, the truth would always end up, if you find yourself at paradox, now you're getting to truth. Hmm. The known and unknown. Clarity, ambiguity. Tension. Transcendence, imminence, distance, nearness. Um, but the tension and the polarities and the paradoxes meant that you were, now you, you're, that's true. So, so it was like coming home for me. And then when I began to realize that Jesus has asked lots of questions and he only, I think he answers two of them. Otherwise in all the gospels, he responds to every question with a question. Um, how do you read it? What do you think it says? Who do you say I am? Uh, it was like, oh, this is the opposite of brainwashing. Wow. His answers are, you're going to have to think about it and wrestle with it. And that the Jesus movement, that, that quote unquote Christianity for many people was thought of as brainwashing, but that the one thing Jesus is never doing is brainwashing. Right. It's the opposite. It's, I can answer that, but, but what do you think? <laughs> yeah. It's like he's literally intentionally 
decisively teaching his followers how to own it and think about it in all of its complexity and depth. It's an invitation. So at some level, it was like, man, coming home. That would have been my mid-20s. Oh, this, I could, this is what I was looking for. And the fact that the Jesus tradition came out of this older tradition, stood on its shoulders, Mm -hmm. has just sort of undergirded everything I've done since then. Yeah. And the question also, a question starting point is humility. And humility is... Is, is a really, really good place to start and then return to. So what do you mean when you say that? Because I think that's important. A question begins with, I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. So there's humility and in just And that's a really asking. good posture to be in. Um, and so think of all the insecurities, all the fears, all the people I might not measure up, I might not be in. But you could ask questions. Hmm. <laughs> you could ask. And so I have no problem. Like when I interview people on my podcast, it's basically just what I would have asked them anyway. But I'll, you know, I'll stop people and be like, wait, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Like, I ne- like a party when someone's like, you know what Ben Stiller in that movie with whatever, when he does the thing with the thing. Like, no, I don't. What, what movie is <laughs> yeah, that? Let me, I just hey, stop. What? I can't pretend anymore. Yeah. yeah. I can't just nod. And yeah, I know about Thomas Friedman's book and how he mentioned the yen and the devaluing. No, I'm no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know the big game tonight? No, I don't. What is it? Oh, hockey. Okay, got it. <laughs> oh, wait. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just don't have any energy to pretend like, uh, yeah, I know. No, I have no idea. That sounds freeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this leads to my two favorite chapters in the entire book, chapters 41 and 42. What is the, what is the best question to ask and what <laughs> yeah, is the worst so question? Good. Yeah, I loved that too. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, yeah, there, we, there it is. Oh, yeah, I think there's, there's a three chapter. What is the best question to ask? What is the worst question to ask? What is the other best yes. question to ask? <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love making those chapter titles. You can tell you're having fun. Yeah, um, yeah the... the ch- Oh my word, they're just holding up Chipotle to me. We have a running Chipotle joke. <laughs> Andrew and Michael, I'm traveling I need with. You crush some Chipotle. Oh, well, I've traveling the past three weeks, I've crushed a little too much Chipotle, and I, <laughs> I can't have enough Chipotle, but I'm getting close. I love Chipotle. Well, it's hard to find consistent my burrito, uh, good tacos across the country. That yeah. is true. My yeah. burrito quotient, we're coming, we're coming to the top here, Andrew. <laughs> I'm going to max out our burrito taco quotient. Well, there was a question there about the Holy Scriptures. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the Bible. Oh yeah. Yeah. The worst question you can ask in reading the Bible is why did God, why did God have the sacrificial system? Why did God kill all those people? Terrible question. We don't have that book. What you have is a book of people giving their perspective so they can only record what they know. Hmm. So they're telling you how they understood the divine. And the Bible reflects evolving consciousness. So the idea that, like, why did God do it that way? Human beings have been growing and exploring and evolving for a long time. So at first, there was this sense of needing to explain why certain things happen. Then over time emerged, well, obviously somebody somewhere must be angry because 
tornadoes and floods and and then gradually the idea began, maybe the forces aren't totally aligned against us. Hmm. Maybe they're actually on our side. Maybe love, not vengeance, is the engine. Maybe, so you can even see it in the, think about the Ten Commandments. Um, could you like not kill each other? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could you just like not, and obviously you only state a command if it's a problem. Right, right. Don't right. have sex with sheep. Apparently that's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but then by the New Testament, you have greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for another. So even within the scriptures, what you see is an unfolding arc or a trajectory. Like if we go from, could you not kill each other to, yeah. could you love with such devotion you'd lay down your life for another? So if you read it like how humans grow, yeah, um, and you also think about, how many, like if you think of your listeners, how many would love it if we had a recording of them giving their opinion on things from 15 years ago? We'll just pipe it over the sound system. We'll all get to listen to you wax eloquent yeah. about money and relationships and politics and entertainment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, we we all are like mortified. Like I was, an, I was <laughs> such a... Sorry for everything I've ever a said. A dull <laughs> yeah. bulb. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you look at your own story, thank God that I kept going. Yeah. So why does it surprise you then that if you look, if you read the Bible as a macro of a micro, um, as a larger telling, but read it like an individual unfolding, of course there would be earlier violent barbaric parts. Yeah. Um, And so what's interesting is oftentimes, especially our modern sophisticated educated friends who reject the Bible, affirm evolution biologically and then deny it developmentally. So they will say, yeah, of course, evolution, obviously. Yeah. The whole thing is unfolding and adapting and certain things survive and certain things don't. But then they turn around and read the Bible like a static fixed book that contains no, how we doing? That's good stuff, man. <laughs> how we doing? <laughs> that's good stuff. I know. Keep going. You want to like good. wave a wave? A yeah, white yeah that's good stuff. Um, yeah. But if you read this book as, of course, earlier <laughs> people, early in the story, had understandings we don't. And actually, you saying it's barbaric and primitive, which it is, I join you in condemning that. How are you here? Right. How do you have this ranking and hierarchy? And when people say, well, it never condemns slavery, but you do. Right. So how is it that something happened in human history that you want nothing to do with slavery? And did that movement just happen with you or has it been unfolding through all of the human story? In which case the Bible shows you what that unfolding looks like. You just happen to be a little farther down the road when it comes to slavery or women's rights. But you also have a massive carbon footprint and are part of an industrial society that's actually might be ruining the earth for good. So in all the ways that you are also, you are way farther ahead, um, do you love your neighbor? Because that's from Leviticus. Right. And if there's any way in which you would say, I'm not always the most loving neighbor, then actually Leviticus was farther ahead. So to make it just this clean line, you can't do that either. (laughs) It's just not that simple. (laughs) Isn't this fun? It's so much fun. (laughs) Okay, so I I love... I love this whole, you know, just conversation because that's exactly what it is. It's a conversation. Um, 
I'm going to just give them a tea. There is a, a quick little chapter in the book where you talk about inerrancy. I want them to buy it because I think it's one of the, the better. I love that chapter. Oh, wow. Great. I, I love it. Um, even if the Bible was inerrant, though, we would still have to interpret it, right? Like, even if, uh, even if it was, we'd still have to, like, do A some, text has to be interpreted. Somebody right. has to interpret it. So the, so moment we would somebody disagree. Sa- the moment somebody says, oh, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, that should actually send all the lights blinking on your dashboard. Right. That person is interpreting. They're telling you what they've interpreted to say. So we're going to disagree. It's just going to happen. We're going to read it differently. Sure. How do we disagree well? Um, this is a great question. Sometime, well, you cannot take people where they don't want to go. Right. So trying to get people, yanking them into where you're at, you now might be, when you go all huffpo on them, yeah. you may be part of the problem. Your enlightenment can actually work against the enlightenment of others. Talk about that a little bit, because yeah, I think that's so well, germane to a lot of people that are listening to this. You know, they've maybe found something new, or they're asking yes. a new question, yeah. and they're finding themselves in tension with others, and they, we, you know, we love the transcend and include, and we love, <laughs> yeah. and we want to talk about, we want yeah. that to be a part of this Things. General so do we, rule, don't buy the same book twice for someone. <laughs> they, didn't read, <laughs> they didn't read the first version you gave them. You haven't read it yet? Um, Let me get it for you again. <laughs> and this is happening every city, anywhere I go, this is the number one thing everybody wants to talk about, which yeah. is what happens. Once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. Once it's out of the box, you'll never get it back in. So the way that consciousness works is it expands, and it can't contract. And a lot of people, especially religious people, weren't taught this because institutions bend towards self-preservation. Mm-hmm. So no institution, rarely will institutions say, hey, you might outgrow this. You might keep going. Um, very rare. And so this is new for lots of people, and it's very helpful to know this is how the tradition works. If you take Jesus seriously and you love your neighbor, who knows who your neighbor may be and where that may take you? Wow. If you're, if you're true to this tradition, you may actually grow and change and see things in new ways, new, expanded, broadened ways. And that might put you at odds with your tribe, maybe even the people who brought you into this world. Hmm. Uh, and that produces an extraordinary amount of pain and can make Thanksgiving very awkward, which is why one of the dominant questions in the New Testament is, who is my family? Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so what's happening is lots and lots of people, this system that they were handed, especially this Christian system, doesn't work anymore, but it still works for siblings, coworkers, college roommates, people who they were once closest to. And so there's this loneliness with, I don't feel like I have a tribe. Hmm, yep. um, so you walk with a limp and that's how it goes. And most people weren't taught this because to talk about consciousness, you have to be at a certain place. (laughs) Um, And so often what happens is the exact place where you have woken up and are more alive than ever. Wait, asking questions is part of it. The exact place where you have most become alive becomes the exact place of tension and division with those around you. Um, so I always would just, you can't take people where they don't want to go. So you will probably find peers in all sorts of strange places who 
will not come dressed with the uniform that you've always assumed were the people on your same team. That's good. Yeah. So you will probably end up, which is interesting that you've mentioned two rabbis that yeah. you have interviewed who you oddly probably feel more connection with than some fancy pants Christian leaders you've you interviewed. Have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting, even in what's happening to you publicly with your podcast is you're like, wait, this feels like more of a brother than brothers who announced themselves as brothers who felt like they were on completely different planets. So you, so you become pan-tribal. The categories just don't work anymore. So one of the things that happens immediately is the categories and labels just don't work anymore because you realize there are lots of people who would, who would never use the word Christian and yet are more Jesus-y and people who never stop talking about Jesus who actually don't seem to be flesh and blood like they say they are. And yeah, so the labels and categories don't work like they used to. Um, you will then find yourself, when you do meet up with somebody who's humming on the same frequency, friendships become so much more valued. Mm, yeah. Because when you do find somebody, you're like, oh, yes. Like, it'd be interesting if you did a deconstructionist live event. We've done that. You've done that. And I bet you there's a thing that happens in the room where everybody goes. It was magic. Yeah, it yeah. was magic. So that's what we're seeing. And that doesn't surprise me that it was magic. And so you begin to value a bunch of things that you may have once taken for granted. Um, and then you begin to realize also that you're not, you're not departing from the tradition. This is the tradition. And what the tradition, quote unquote, will tell you is what happened to you? I mean, we, we sent you to a Christian college. Like you used to... You were, you like, you're a good soldier. You played by the, what hat, we're really concerned about. What are you reading this? What, um, and it's important in those moments to realize you're not leaving tradition. You're going more into the center. That the word radical comes from the Latin word radix, which means root. A radish is a root vegetable. A radical is not the one that wandered off in the deep weeds. The radical is the one who went back to source. Yes. Um, and all of these people are waking up there leading three questions last night, wherever I was last night, Minneapolis began with, I, w I used to be a fundamentalist. Um, people are waking up and it's not because they're leaving the thing. It's because they're going farther into the center and all it does is get better. And there are moments of loneliness and ache. And uh, oh, yeah. the biggest thing also is with certain people, you may have to have boundaries with people who were once your closest mates. You may literally have to say, you know what? We've talked about this three times. We can't have another conversation about this. It's so hard. You yeah. may have to limit time spent. Certain friendships might not endure. And it's not because you're not loving. It's not because you've lost your way. It's because it's about life. And you go where the life is. And mm. that might not be where it used to be. That's okay. So there's a grieving process. And uh, then you keep going. And it just gets better. Man, <laughs> I, I know we're, uh, we're we're running short on time here, so uh, we just have one last question for you. I have and, one last question. Oh, you have one last question. Okay. Oh. So we have two last questions. Mine's uh, a short one. Okay, minus two, I, I think. <clears throat> so uh, one of the things that that we found ourselves talking about um, recently in another interview was this idea of um, what our, one of our favorite people, Roar, would 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 say is Richie uh, Roar. Yes, unbelievable. Uh, when he talks about embracing ambiguity, embracing the mystery. And uh, one of the things we found ourselves talking about the other night was 
um, mystery versus treating scripture or even spirituality as a puzzle to be solved. I, I just wondered if you could kind of uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, I would, I would put mystery on one side and clarity, mm. or maybe not even that. Um, some puzzles I would love if somebody pu- solves the cancer puzzle, that's awesome. Yeah. So some a uh, traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> that's a good puzzle um, to solve. Yeah. Carbon footprints that are like actually destroying the environment. Um, so some puzzles, let's solve them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so mystery might be that which is known mm-hmm. and that which we have made peace with its unknownness. Um, and uh, these are polarities, which simply means we move back and forth between them. One example would be there's awareness. This is a gift. There's nothing to do. Just breathe deeply and receive. And then there's action. Let's go do something. Roll up our sleeves. (laughs) Yeah. Organize, rally, resist. And sometimes in life, you need somebody to say to you, don't do a thing. Just sit. You're already at the party. Everything's been taken care of. It is finished. Grace. And other times you need somebody to say, what are you doing? Like there's stuff to do. Yeah. And, and, and so you move between these. Sometimes you're burned out and exhausted and sometimes you're rested and you're restless because it's time to leave the village and go on the hero's journey into the woods. So like these are, these are polar, or maybe think of them like a circle of arrows. Sometimes you're in one place and sometimes you're in the other. So we're not against either. It just depends on where we're at. Um, and that's, that's how I, I think about it. Uh, but the modern world was about the conquering of mystery. And you don't build skyscrapers and airports and iPods without at some level answering questions and conquering mystery. Right. But the problem is it taught people that mystery exists to be conquered. Some mysteries do, uh, but actual like gospel, transcendent, divine mysteries are to be enjoyed. Like you enter in. That's what you do with that. So is the Bible more of a mystery (laughs) than a puzzle? Or can you not even, is there just the tension that you move back and forth between? Absolutely, because there's, it, uh, you think about the Sermon on the Mount is profound wisdom about how to live with less worry, less anxiety, more grounded, more centered, with a better understanding of what your stuff is and how to think about the accumulation of stuff and how to forgive and what prayers to say to help you come back to your wholeness and starting point. You know what I mean? So I I would say that's profound, straightforward, and yet stacked with depth and wisdom. So good. Um, I would think about more in those categories. All right, last question. Oh, my word. Really? We're not going to do the lightning round. No. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Last question. This whole thing was a lightning round. (laughs) And more of just like a... um, personal co- like commentary of mine, just a subjective, something I've just kind of always noticed that I'm just curious about. You just never seem very worried about all this stuff. There's just an air when I read your stuff, when I listen to your podcast, when I've, you know, I've come to see you preach in Michigan, you know, back in, back in the day with my friends. There's a lightness. There's a, you're, you're just not, you're not freaked out about it. You're not worried. Um, it doesn't seem like you are anyway. No. V- versus a lot of times what I see, um, it doesn't even matter. Like I don't need somebody to compare it to, but like that's, that's unusual a lot of times from somebody that's, you know, a spiritual teacher or something like that. Is that really? Yeah. Because 
Oh, that's mm. sad. Because it seems like a lot of times it's, um, well, if you don't believe, you know, the right thing, then, then I'm going to, you know, but you just, you're not worried. Why are you not worried? You know, this is, this is huge stuff. Like, how did you do that? Like, I don't know if anybody. Oh, worry is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> because when I started out in my early 20s in a local church as a pastor, I was visiting people in prison and maximum security lockdown, and I was going to the ICU unit because this family's newborn was hanging between life and death. Yeah. And this guy calls because he's going to kill himself. I figured he'd cold call a church before he did it. So I just saw, I was going to do a wedding a couple weeks before the wedding. The fiant, the groom was killed in a freak accident by a piece of machinery at work. So I was at the house with the bride a couple hours later. So I just, uh, I was just at a, really young age saw so much unspeakable trauma and loss. I remember doing a funeral and showing up and I was the first person there other than the man who just wife had just died and he's standing all alone over her casket. So I just walk up and I stand next to him and he just keeps repeating. She was such a good woman. She was such a good woman. So he and I just stood in this giant church, the two of us, my arm around him while he just kept repeating, looking at his dead wife. She was such a good woman. So I saw, I saw a lot of that. And the wisdom after wisdom is the whole thing could end tomorrow. Something could happen to one of my kids. I could get sick. All sorts of things could happen, but you do have today. So the wisdom after wisdom is the whole thing really, it is random and completely hanging on by a thread. And unbelievable things could happen tomorrow that would change your life forever. But you do have today, so you might as well enjoy it. So something, about, something got beaten out of me. The only thing left to do is do this right here now and enjoy it. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> thank yeah. you. That's very kind of you. Yeah. Uh, we can't thank you enough for, for agreeing to do this. Uh, you, you get to speak again in another hour or so. so. Wasn't it fun? That was, Thanks for getting oh people gosh. into the Bible too, man. Yeah. yeah. Isn't what it amazing? A, what a blast. And I'm, uh, I've never... In 25 years, had a tour, had a response like this. Really? Every city. And it's like on a tonight, book on the Bible. It's. That's amazing. Uh, it's, I don't even. We can't wait. It's unbelievable. I seriously, every city, I'm like, what is, I've been at this for a while. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> and we're in Ohio, so it'll be, yeah. it'll be electric. Oh, it's going to be magic. Yeah. Not, yeah. not even to ask you another question, but don't, Adam and I talk about this all, all the time, but don't you feel like we're kind of in the midst of another yes. uh, spiritual revolution Absolutely. Type? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Absolutely. Here's what's going on. Buddhism, Judaism, at some level Hinduism, Christian faith, their origins are about uh, Islam, 1,000 to 2,000 years old. So these, all these the most dominant ways people have come to understand spirit. Yeah. Those ideas were first brought together a couple thousand years ago. So people had a flat earth, didn't know about germs, <laughs> thought the earth was the center of the solar system. Yeah. Yeah. So these traditions, and Ken Wilber, lots of people have said very eloquent things about this. They got us really far. But what we know in the past hundred years about the psyche, 
about neurochemistry, about astrophysics, about a Tesla that has a trunk in the front and back. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to tell about my friend's Tesla, who he got an email the other day that while he was sleeping, they had fixed his brakes through Wi-Fi. What? Get out of here. So, and all this has happened in the past hundred years. So we are going through a revolution because these great, great traditions have to be expanded. You can keep them. I'm all about resurrection. Fantastic. But if you don't speak to the world we're now living in, I mean, what is it? What percentage of England even would consider, would say they're religious? Like the religions have failed. Anything that you did below 10%, you failed. You're a candidate running for president and you go below 10%. (laughs) Your campaign's on life support. Right. But in large portions of the Western world, you're way under 10% would even identify with a religious tradition. So essentially they failed. And yet, we're more hungry than ever. Mm, yeah. So your thing of are we in the midst of something? Yes. Because we're more hungry than ever. And yet the dominant ways that human beings for thousands of years got water for that thirst and food for that hunger have at some level failed. So you have to be honest about the failure. And then you have to say, so what does the next thing look like? So if you have a Jesus community and you're not talking about our connection with the soil, yeah, then you're part of the problem. If you don't have anything in your Jesus community, if you don't have a big, wide, open embrace of science, you're done. Uh, uh, I mean, you, obviously women's rights, LGBT, minorities, love of our Muslim neighbors, if those aren't all just basics, done. Done. <laughs> Yeah, come on, man. (laughs) That's what's happening. And so you have some death throws, some death rattle, which might be loud for a little bit, but otherwise um, there's a whole thing that's over. And you either go, okay, and you look for resurrection, or, yeah, that's what's happening. I love it. That was just for free. (laughs) Yeah, it was just attack on at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Bonus. and, and, And like you guys are doing, trying to, you guys are doing your part. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the Bible at an independent bookstore in Ohio. Imagine you, We that. each just do our part. Which is sold out and probably lots of other, like, overflow. Like, people are going to be like, what is he talking about? Uh, is he talking about the Bible? Is he allowed to do that? Yeah. In a public uh, forum? I mean, thank you. That's what we do. Yeah. So much, Rob. You guys are fantastic. Oh, I'm thank cheering you, you on. Thank you. I'm cheering you on and your new name. Yes. <laughs> well, we should announce it right now. Right now. Absolutely. Yeah. We are. What are we doing? We're Rebranding. bracketing. You're going to take deconstructionists. You're going to take the D and E and put a bracket around yes, them. Yes, we need to do because this. Because you're taking things apart in order to build something. So you're actually constructionists. We're constructionists. But to do good constructionists, you've got to deconstruct what needs to be deconstructed. So the name is still there. Your name now reflects the movement from taking it apart to building something new. So the D is in brackets. That just happened. Just now. That just happened. Yeah, and graphically, you just need to, like I can see, it has to look right, but we'll get, you'll we'll get, get there. We'll get you a pin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We will get now you to redo uh, the mugs. Oh, man. You are on a napkin. welcome. Just scribble it on a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. We'll, let you, we'll let you go now because they're going to get mad at us if we keep you any longer. So <laughs> We got the full eight. That's right. Thanks, everybody. We are the lonely ones left out here in the dark. We bought our tickets, but we don't have a seat. And now we're just slaves to the beat. 
so much better than last time. I will never, I will never forget <laughs> being in that room and being quasi embarrassed because of just how much we fanboyed out the first time. But yeah. this was such a smooth conversation. And goodness, I don't think I realized until we were actually sitting there with him. Yeah, how influential that guy has actually been. Like, I didn't realize that. He's been so influential. And um, obviously, we're going to have an episode coming up where we talk a little bit about, like, what's going on even with the phrase we use to, to, to nominate, like, who we are, to talk about who we are, like, our name. Oh, yeah. And Rob Bell changed our name. Rob Bell changed our name, which we will have a whole episode about. Literally on the fly. On the fly. <laughs> and it's going to be a great episode. Yep. But I think I'll start off with this. Wherever you sit as far as like who Rob Bell is and what Rob Bell's doing, wherever you're at on that, it's okay. Because like I know he doesn't care. Yeah. And I don't care. And honestly... Even if you are at the end of the spectrum where you were like, I just wish you would tell people that Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin that died for our sins and all these kinds of things. And the Bible's literally true. Even if, even if literally that's where you're at, and I'm not making fun of that at all. If that's where you're at, you need Rob Bell. Yeah. Because the guy is literally this force that causes you to think about what you believe, no matter where you're at. And there is nothing more invaluable, in my opinion, than somebody that catalyzes a spirit of not, you need to think this, but hey, why don't you start asking questions and thinking about what you believe? Yeah. Period. No matter where you're at on the spectrum, no matter how much you agree with or disagree with, you've got to give the guy props that he's made you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think every every good author, every good thinker since the beginning of time has always had his counterpart who's kind of pushed back against him. Totally. And, you know, like N.T. Wright had Marcus Borg back uh, in the day. And they were boys. And they were boys. Yeah. And they, they, they toss things back and forth, you know, and to each other. And read a lot. Yeah. And we're still friends, believe it or not. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the way it should be. And so this new book, uh, what is the Bible is is phenomenal, and and a lot of it is like some of you who have who have gotten into um, the, uh, the 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 uh, I don't know the, the Jewish um, concept of like midrash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just wrestling. This will become very familiar to you. Discoursing. Yeah, you know, good exegesis. Like this book is all about looking at at. Um, I think the summary is context. Mm-hmm. Like this book is all about context, all about context and, and context in a way that, that reveals, uh, things in, in verses and stories that you've heard before, but shines a light on them in a way that maybe you haven't seen before. And you know, the hilarious thing to me, like as, as, as somebody who is still in some kind of like pastoral role is this How whole, is that? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. The whole idea behind like what does the bible function as is this big like it's this just bomb it's this it's this shell that always goes off it's this explosive and at the end of the day can we just call a spade a spade that no matter where you land on the spectrum of the bible's functionality 
in day-to-day life of Christians or people or governments or whatever, no matter where you land on that spectrum, if you are on the very conservative end where you say the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it, or whether you're on the, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I find inspiration from it and blah, 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 blah. Here's the beautiful part. And this is what I think Rob Bell draws out that I love. If you're in a small group or if you're having beers with a friend or if you are just talking to a stranger on the bus or if you're having a talk uh, with your family over dinner or over a meal, here's what's going to happen. You are going to talk about what you think it means. You're going to talk about that. It's going to become a conversation. It's not something that's so delineated that you just memorize the answer and move on like you're studying for your MCATs or something in college. Like, there's this answer. It's A or it's B or it's C. No, because no matter where you're at on the spectrum, you're a part of a conversation that is talking about what it means or what it meant or what it means to you or how to do it. And we are all a part of this conversation and stirring up that conversation and giving it life and vitality and freedom is beautiful. And he's doing that with this book. I'll be honest. I think this is the best thing he's maybe ever put out. Yeah. Like this is, he is firing on all, all cylinders. He's doing what he's born to do, what he was trained to do, what he's most experienced at doing. And he's stirring it up. And I love it. Yeah, I think if you look at, at, at the Bible, if you look at Scripture as this static thing that's frozen in time, yeah. you're missing out on a lot of things. A lot of beauty. Right! And, and like this, this thing should be a continuous conversation. And if this, if this book does anything... And if it, if it fosters conversation, if it fosters dialogue, and it fosters even debate, yes, then that's good. It's very, very good. I mean, it, the fact that, that Rob, I think Rob said um, in, in the speaking part of, of uh, this tour you know, that we got to see, um, he, he found it fascinating that this is, has encouraged so much conversation mm-hmm. that people have come out yeah. and forced to talk about it. Yeah. This, this thousand something year old Bible, you know, this, 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 this collection of documents, this collection of poetry of, of, um, you know, different styles of writings, um, you know, that was, that was assembled and put together from different communities and writers over hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. That's insane. It's crazy. And since we live in a culture where we're just tied to these devices that are giving us these little info snacks on a regular basis that we consume, talk about, and then leave behind like it's worth nothing. Here we have this thing that has brought communities together for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that have fostered um, new um, awareness of what humanity is, um, new levels of awareness of you know, who we are and where we are and asking questions about all of that. It's never going away, guys. And the interesting thing about the Bible is no matter what you believe about its inerrancy or its inspiration or its authority, probably you're having conversations about that. And those conversations require your own subjective perspective and, in, and interpretation. And no matter how inerrant the Bible is, our interpretation and conversation about it probably isn't. So maybe we all need to have a little bit of humility and, and just step back and let the power of what it is 
just have its work like in our communities. And I think that he gives us some really, really great. One of the things I love about the book is he, a lot of times in the beginning of these really short chapters, he asks a question or opens up a passage and he puts you on a track and starts moving you forward into the context and open it up and deepening it up. And then it's just, he just ends it. Yep. As if to say, okay, <laughs> okay, now you do it. Yeah. Now you, now, now what do you think? I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Instead of just like going, okay, what did, um, you know, this commentator say from beginning to end and that's, you know, the truth of it and that's it. No, come on, man. You get to play. Yeah. It's good stuff. That should be exciting to you. I think it's exciting. I agree, man. I'm with you. He's a fun guy to hang out with too, by the way. Can we just say that? And he's tremendously tall. He's so tall. He's very tall. The shirt we bought him was an XL. Yeah. It might have been a mistake. I thought it was a little overkill. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I met him. Then I was like. He's so tall. You were so big. He's so tall. And he gives great hugs. He gives really good hugs. Really passionate, <laughs> all-in hugs. But uh, could not be a nicer guy. Uh, Definitely. We're pulling for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, and he's, I think, maybe pulling for us. Out. Yeah. Check it out, man. Yeah. Get the book. Definitely get the book. Get no matter where book. you're at on the spectrum, um, you don't think conversation is a bad thing, and you should read it and talk about it. Absolutely. Guess what, guys? We're going to take a break. <laughs> We're taking a break right now. Are you tired? No, no, no. I, I mean, for the next month. I know. Yeah. Are you tired? I'm, I'm tired. I'm energized and tired at the same time. <laughs> yes. We need a tiny little break so that we can procure the finest of episodes for you. Mm, they're gonna starting be so t- in August. They're going to be so tasty. It's going to be it's going to be like a rich, like smorgasbord. Can yes. we use that word? Smorgasbord. My dad would use that word. I love that word. It's like a it's like a it's like a delicious coffee, like one of those medium roasts. With mm. yeah, <laughs> it's going to be like that. It'd be like a charcuterie. It could be. It could be. Jamie loves charcuterie. She really does. Your wife's sitting in here with us. You have no idea. She is. Yes, she just mouthed, I love it. I love charcuterie. So starting in August, we will be back. We have some episodes that we've already recorded that to say that we cannot wait to release them would be an understatement. Good Lord. Um, We've got some really, really fun episodes. Very diverse uh, variety of episodes. We've got... uh, We've, we've got some curveballs. Got some more Judaism coming your way. Some, we've some radical Judaism. Some radical Judaism. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Those of you that follow our uh, our, our Goodreads uh, list of books, that I hope read. Rob gets him on his show. Well, we'll talk about that later. He has to. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some more musicians coming your way. Yep. We've got some more philosophers coming your way. We have so much good stuff, and just there might be surprises. Yeah, and that we, that we don't even know about some return guests that you uh, you might already love might be coming back. It could happen. So uh, August will kick off uh, not only our birthdays, Adam. Happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, Adam. Thanks, man. <laughs> even though we're like always away, but we're both Leos. We are both Leos, twinsies. <laughs> so we will we will kick off our birthdays with uh, with an episode. Uh, explaining why we've changed our name. Yes. Uh, leading into regular episodes, leading into the rest of the year. It's going to be so much fun. Guess what else tell, we're doing? Tell your friends. What are we doing? 
October. October, remember last year? Hell month? Yes. We're doing a special Halloween month this year. We are. Uh, kind of like we did last year, but we're going to do something a little different this year. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Um, we're going to leave it at that, but we got lots of stuff coming up. Uh, special Christmas episodes, all sorts of good stuff. So We miss you tuned. guys already. Stay tuned. Enjoy your month without us. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> we will be back. For now, we are your hosts who did not fan out too much. Not too much. While recording live with Rob Bell. Just a little. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. And we love doing this with you guys. So grace and peace. See you in August. What am I to build if my hands are broken? If I'm not the chosen one, what am I to build? Where's my heart beating? Somewhere under that water. If I drive, will I get over? Will I join the deep?
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.